Amen. First Samuel chapter 9. We are talking about timeless testaments. I'm going to give you the story of Saul. And this was not on my radar uh, to give this sermon today. Uh, I actually had planned the sermon for next week for today. But God just kind of wanted me to break this out in parts, uh, two parts about Saul. And so we're going through the major stories of Scripture and just applying them to our lives and how we can see Jesus Christ. But today I want to talk about when God steals your donkey. All right? Anybody have a donkey? Nobody. So this will relate to all of you. You know, when God steals your donkey, really we're going to talk about fearing the anointing. Uh, what is the scariest thing you've ever been through in your life? You know, we're talking about healing of cancer today. That's a scary thing. I know that uh, it was a scary thing when we were about to have our second child and we barely made it to the emergency room and it was, she was coming, you know, and I was like, oh, Lord, have mercy. That's scary. But I can tell you probably the, the scariest thing actually in my life, now being through things and having, you know, members of my family die of suicide or cancer or going through different things, the scariest thing in my life, no doubt, hands down, has been following God into full-time ministry. The scariest thing in my life has been following God, no doubt. Jumping out of the boat and risking it all to do what Jesus wanted you to do. For me, a shy, quiet uh, back row kind of a person to step out and say, God, I will go all in wherever you want to go. Uh, and the second probably scariest thing in my life was coming down to an altar and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that was probably the second scariest thing in my life. Because in that moment, all of my pride, all of my anxiety, all of my control, I'm a control person, letting God have the steering wheel of my life was a big risk. And for him to say, let me drive the car, let me take you on a journey that you don't get to choose where you want to go, you don't get to choose how much money you make, you don't get to choose where you live, and you don't get to choose uh, uh, how people are going to view you or anything like that, and I just want you to let me be God. That, by far, has been the most scariest decision of my life. Uh, and the Christian journey is like that. The Christian journey is a fearful thing. Jesus actually said, I want you to count the cost before you go on this trip with me and see if you have what it takes to make it. But guess what? I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to have my spirit, and he's going to give you peace, and he's going to be the comforter. But he's going to be with you along the way. But we're supposed to understand this is a risky journey to go all in with Jesus Christ. And so many times in the American Christian church, we kind of view Christianity as an add-on or, or it's okay, I get my life plus Jesus. But when you look at the New Testament Christianity, it was a radical leap of faith where you died to self and died to everything you'd have and, and you bega- basically became a new person. And so, but in the end of it all, Jesus says this, basically, that the destination he has for your life is going to make the journey worth it. That, that even if you go through persecution and loss and you don't make as much money as you could have on your own, or if you turn the other cheek and you had to be persecuted or you, uh, you had to sell out and you had to leave your family or you had to break away from relationships or do things maybe you didn't really want to do, the destination is going to make the journey worth it. Amen? So here's a question for us today. What are you looking for in life? What are you looking for in life. Maybe you today are, we're all at different places, but maybe some of us are fearing jumping all in and starting this journey just at the very beginning. Some of us, maybe we've started the journey, but we're fearing about going all the way with Jesus. 
Sometimes we can be fearful like I was to receive the full power and anointing of the Holy Spirit and just let him just jack your life up. Uh, is that scary to let go and say what? I remember when I when I, uh, you know, I, I rationalize things with God a lot. And when I was a young person uh, growing up in a spirit filled Pentecostal charismatic background, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, I saw all kinds of things, and I remember telling God, God, I will do whatever you want. I'm going to be a good Christian boy. I'm going to go pay my tithes. I'll be a Sunday school teacher, but I am not running around this church, you know, because I, mean, I saw people do that. I'm not falling on the ground, or I'm not going to yell out and scream and shout. And uh, there was a moment, and I said, God, I, I, don't, I don't dance, okay? You don't want to see me dance? I don't dance. My, my, you know, that's been a big thing for me and my wife growing, uh, when we were dating. You know, I, I, I didn't go to any of the school dances and, so, you know, do this, slow dance. That's about as far as I got. I can do that holy, that Pentecostal sway. That's about it. But uh, there was a moment in my life where I had to just give it all. And I remember in a, in a prayer time uh, in my room, again, nobody was around. My roommates had gone off, and, and we were in college. And the Holy Spirit just came over me, and I danced before the Lord. And that was a moment, really like a, a moment, and it kind of sounds weird, but for me it really was weird. It's just that the God, I was excited about what God was doing and happy, uh, and it was those things where I say, God, what am I looking for in this life? And I had to get to the end of what I thought I was looking for and say, God, I'm ready for everything you have for me. How many people want to say, God, I want to be ready for everything you have for me? Amen. Amen. All right, look at me in First Samuel chapter 9. Let me give you uh, the background, because today we're talking about not being fearful, but being filled. Not being fearful, but being filled. In the time of the judges is where we are. And in the judges, everyone has done right in their own eyes, and there is no king. But Samuel, the prophet who's become a priest and and a great man of God, and we talked about him already, Samuel has grown old, and his sons have become kind of evil men. And so the people get restless for a king, and they cry out to the Lord, and they cry out to Samuel, we need a king. God doesn't want to give him a king. It's not God's timing. It's not God's plan. Uh, at this time, he's waiting for the right time. He knows Jesus Christ is going to be the true king that we need, that God is king over his people, and a, a bad king could really ruin the deal for what uh, Israel is going through. It could, be, it could be really great, but it could be really bad. And so they cry out, and finally God in his mercy gives in. So we find ourselves in this story. Now, there was a man named Saul. Everybody say Saul. Saul. All right, he was a man named Saul, and he comes from the Benjamite, uh, the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Benjamite. Uh, And Saul comes from a kind of a a good family, but it's the least of the least. But his dad, you know, lineage of his family was kind of a warrior side. And Saul is tall. Man, he is is a head and shoulder above everybody else. And now Jewish people are short, so he stands out. Very handsome-looking dude. But... The tribe of Benjamin's small. Saul's family's not anything great. And so this guy, his father's maybe pretty wealthy, and his dad loses their donkeys, okay? That's kind of important. That's like a, a thing of uh, losing a tractor, okay? It'd be like losing a, your four-wheelers and your tractors. So they lose these donkeys. And they be, they be, he says, Saul, go out there, get the servant, one of the servants, and go search for those donkeys. We need those donkeys for the family farm. So they begin to search. They search through the whole, uh, tri- the whole land of Benjamin. They even get to the edge of the land and go into the land of Ephraim, the next tribe over. And they could not find the donkey. They were out of money. 
They were out of resources. They were out of food. Uh, and, they, and he says, you know what? We've looking for these donkeys, but you've been looking so long. They're probably looking for us now. They're sending a search party out for us. So let's go back. And the, and the servant says, you know, I've heard about this guy named uh, Samuel. He's a seer. Now, seer means a prophet. He's a guy who sees things from the Lord. And I, I believe we just go to him. Everything that he says is going to come to pass. And we say, well, what are we going to give this guy? And so he says, well, I've got this. You know, there's a half a shekel here. I've got just a little bit of money, uh, and maybe that'll pay a fee. They didn't know anything about the things of the Lord. That's how we are sometimes. Uh, we're out there in the world. We're searching for something. We're longing for something that we think we need. We have no concept of God, no, no desire for anything spiritual. And Saul is out there looking for some physical donkeys to help his physical family to grow their physical farm. And he's got some physical money, and he thinks that's going to earn him something with God. And that's how we are sometimes. We're not even looking for God. But God was looking for Saul. In fact, the day before, God had told Samuel, there's going to be a man come. And when you see him, I'll tell you, that's the future king. So Saul shows up to this town. They go, they're looking for this guy named Samuel, the seer. And he comes up to this stranger. He says, hey, dude, uh, do you know where this dude's house is, Samuel, the, the seer? And Samuel looks at him. He says, I'm the dude. I'm Samuel. Uh, I'm the one. Have you ever done that before? You go up to someone and say, hey, do you know where so-and-so lives or where they're at? And they're like, oh, that's me. And before? All right. Okay, look at 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 19. And we'll read this part together. Samuel answered and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place. You shall eat with me today. And in the morning, I'll let you go. When I, and I will tell you all that is on your mind. Don't you know Jesus did that to a lot of people? He told me everything I ever knew or ever did. The woman at the well said, And as for your donkeys, which were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them. Hey, no, no. He didn't tell him about the donkeys. He just knew, right? God's confirming things in him. It says, For they've been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's household? Saul replied, what are you talking about? I am a Benjamin. Am I not a Benjamite, the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you speak to me in this way? He began to bless him. And what happens is Samuel invites Saul to this feast that was already prepared, and Samuel had already foreknowledge set aside the best portion for Saul. Some people think it was even the portion of the sacrifice, the priestly portion. And so Saul comes to this feast. Samuel saying these weird words in him, and he doesn't quite understand what's going on, but he's curious, right? He's gotten to a place where he's not, he doesn't got the donkeys. He's got no more money. He's got no more food. He's looking for something, but he hasn't found it. But God has ordained, and maybe God just stole these donkeys to get Saul to this place at this right time. Don't you know that in your life, sometimes God works things out to put you in a perfect place at a perfect time. God has things in order, and he's, always, he's got his plan, and we've got our plan. But sometimes some of the bad things maybe you've gone through is to put you in a position so that you can receive something from God. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? Amen? Sometimes God is going to use some things in your life to get you where he wants you to be. And so that's where Saul is. He's lost. He doesn't have what he's looking for, but he's curious. Samuel takes him. He puts him in a banquet. He puts him at the most seat of honor. He gives him and says, I've already prepared this meal for you before you are even here. He gives him that place. And he begins to speak things into his life. He even takes Saul aside that night. He begins to tell him about the things of God. He begins to tell him about the kingdom of God. He says, the next morning, I'm going to take you out to the edge of the city. And so they, he sleeps at Samuel's place that night. 
up late at night talking about the things of God, curious about God, what's going on. They take him out to the city, and that's where we find ourselves now. They're outside the city. Samuel takes a flask of oil and anoints it on his head. Now, think about this for a moment. We are all looking for something, but most of the time it's not what we really need. Saul's concerned about restoring some donkeys, but God was concerned about restoring victory for Israel. God was going to use Saul to cast out the enemy. And Samuel says, don't set your mind on the donkeys. What does Jesus tell us in Matthew 6.33 that Brother Ron reads to us so very much? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added unto you. Right? And in the same sense, God is saying that to Saul. He's saying, Saul, you've been looking for all of the wrong things in your life. You had a plan for your life. But sometimes when you get to the end of your rope, one of my friends used to say, you get God's hope. Because it's got to be, I'm done looking for what I've tried to find in this life. And God, I see you ordaining things here, and I hear your voice, but I'm kind of not clear on what this is going on. I don't understand. And there's Samuel. He doesn't even recognize him. Sometimes in those moments, we don't even recognize Jesus. Jesus, for so many people, is not someone who's attractive or he's not someone that they thought uh, that he would be. I'm not looking for a God that's going to tell me to turn the other cheek. I'm not looking for a God that's going to tell me to sell all my possessions and give to the poor. I'm not looking for a God that's going to tell me to count the cost. I'm looking for a God that's going to help me right now find what I'm looking for. That's what most people are asking for. They're looking for a Jesus that's not the real Jesus. But what happens is, is when we give it all to God and say, God, I'm done looking for what I thought I needed. And now, Lord, I'm curious about this plan that you say you have for my life. And what does Jesus do? The Bible tells us that he sets a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil and surely what? Goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And I know now after that moment, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Saul was experiencing this tugging of the Holy Spirit. And maybe today God's been tugging on you. And that's why you're even here in this place today. I don't even know why I'm at this crazy church with this spiky haired pastor. But, but there's something that's drawing me deeper into God. And Saul finds that place. God has prepared a feast for you in advance. The Bible tells us before we were ever looking for God, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So even while we were still sinners, he died for us. And Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 tells us that even before he made the world, God loved you. He chose you in Jesus Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And it says in verse 5 that God decided in advance to adopt you into his own family by bringing you to himself through Jesus Christ. Samuel was bringing Saul to God ever before before Saul even knew what was going on. And the same is true for you. You didn't come to God on your own. Jesus drew you to God. The Holy Spirit has been drawing you. And it's about time we, church, get off of looking for our donkeys and get to looking for the kingdom because God has great things prepared in advance for you to do. 
And it's not to live out the American dream and have a nice car and some houses. God has some royal, universal, life-changing, history-making plans for His church. Amen? This is, you are the greatest nation ever created, with the greatest king to ever rule, with the most power that no nuclear arsenal of Russia or the United States can compare to the power that lives inside of you. Do you believe that? That's what God has prepared for you. Now, let's go on. So he lost his donkeys. That's what he was looking for. But God had something better for him. Now, he was anointed. He was anointed for something. First Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Let's look there. So Saul responds to this curious thing that's going on in his life. And 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1 says, Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him, said to him, Has not the, the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? Now note that. Israel was not Saul's inheritance. It was the Lord's. I'm calling you to minister to my people. And the Bible tells us that you and I are called to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a kingdom for God's possession. God's called you and I to minister one another, to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. We've been called to, uh, Paul said, to be ambassadors of the, of the gospel uh, with a ministry of reconciliation, bringing people into God. We are uh, shepherding this world, trying to draw them into Christ. And so what does that word anointed mean? He said he anointed him. The word anointing really means set apart for a purpose with power, all right? Or set apart with power for a purpose, however you want to say it. It was what they would do to kings and priests. It means that you have something on your life now that wasn't there before, and you've got a calling, but not only do you have a job to do, you've got also the power to do the job. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be any good for God to say, hey, I've called you to reach the world without giving you the power to reach the world. Or I've called you to heal the sick without giving you the power to heal the sick or to raise the dead or, or and vice versa. So he says, God has anointed you to minister to his people, his inheritance. Now, here's the deal. I don't know about you, but when a pastor comes and I, I hear I go to a church and I hear these awesome stories like, yeah, let's reach the world. You know, then there's the real life. After I leave the service, okay, like I've heard some great challenging, oh yeah, let's go do it, take, take the world, pastor. And then you're like, okay, and then I get in my car, I turn the key, I back up, I go out the street, I get home, I unlock my door, that's normal life. I get in, my kids are screaming, something's burning, you know, whatever, life happens. And so where's the great, oh, let's do this. There's a journey. You see, the Christian life is not a checklist or I go to the altar and something great happens and I'm going to be this awesome person from now on. There's a journey that God has all of you on. And I'm going to tell you about that journey that Saul takes just in this one moment. Samuel says there's going to be some signs along the way as you go back home. You're not just going to go back home the same. God's going to change you so when you go back home, you'll be different. He says the first thing, as soon as, uh, verse, look at verse 9, 1 uh, Samuel 10 verse 9, says this, Saul turned to leave, God changed his heart. The same is true for every person who believes in the good news of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Ezekiel chapter 36 is fulfilled, that God in that moment, we have a born-again experience with the Holy Spirit, and that we get a new heart and a new spirit within us so that we can obey the Word of God. And in that moment, Saul's eyes were awakened. I believe in that moment was a salvation moment where he felt something different. I see different. I, I sense things different. There's something moving on me. It's not just these words I heard that I'm, respond, I'm responding to what I heard, these word of God. And as he responded in faith to leave that place, 
See, he heard the call. He heard what the kingdom of God was about. He responded. He left looking for the lost donkeys, and he said, okay, I believe in this. I'm then anointed for a purpose, and now I take a step. That first step is when we say, yes, God, by faith, I believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and now I'm going to walk towards it. I'm going to walk different in it. And by faith, you see, it doesn't just happen without faith. By faith, you become changed, right? God doesn't do anything without faith. It's by faith. I believe in Jesus Christ, and now my faith is going to help me to walk in belief, right? I'm going to, I'm going to take some action because I believe he's the Lord of, the, uh, of all, and he's coming back. I'm going to live different. I'm going to talk different. I'm going to purpose my life differently, make some decisions differently. And that's that faith. And so now Saul's anointed. He's got a new heart. He's got a new spirit. And the first sign of your relationship with Jesus Christ is a changed heart. If you don't have a changed heart, you're not saved. If you didn't have a born-again experience with God, if you haven't noticed anything new inside of you, it's just a mental Christianity. It's just a doctrinal Christianity. That's just the decision. You're, You're still back looking for the donkeys. You're still back over there, curious about this all, but you have to make a decision, and then you'll feel the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we can now identify in our hearts and cry out, Abba, Father, that I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. No one can convince me that I'm not because I now sense the Holy Spirit inside of me. It doesn't have to be this grand thundering of the clouds or anything, but I sense something is different in my heart. I, I long to word uh, the word of God. I, I love to be in worship now when I didn't care about it before. Or I like to pray or I'm passionate about the things God's passionate about. That beginning, that little nugget was the beginning of his walk. So step one, he had this new heart. Now step two, now that's kind of cool. He, he, he says, okay, now as you go forward, you're going to find two men at Rachel's tomb, your ancestor Rachel, this very famous tomb in Benjamin, where you're from, and he says, they're going to confirm your donkeys have been found, and then they're going to tell you, your father is really ready for you to come home. He's kind of worried that you're dead on the side of the road somewhere. We want you to get, he wants you to get back home. He says, when you come to that, you're going to know what to do. And so Saul goes, sticks in the, takes more steps towards that relationship, towards that calling, and he comes to Rachel's tomb, and these guys, they say, hey, your donkeys have been found, but your dad's looking for you. In that moment, what was happening in his life? Some people think, that in that moment, as he approached that tomb where all maybe some of his ancestors were buried, he had to begin to face his own mortality and begin to think, you know, there's a death, there's a life, there's something to live for. And he had to leave his, his life in that moment. He had to pass by death. To follow Jesus Christ, you have to die to self. You have to pass by death and go forward into new life. And in that moment, his father called out to him and said, come back home. Jesus says that there's a moment that's going to come in us, and we're following him. He says that the way you love his calling, he says, follow me, but in comparison to how you follow me, you're going to have to hate your mother and your father, your brother and your sister. You have to follow me that much and reject their calls. How many people in Scripture did Jesus say, let the dead bury the dead. Let your, let your family who doesn't believe bury your dead father. I mean, he's radical now to say, you've got to leave the calling of your family and elevate the calling of Jesus Christ above that, that even if your family would turn away, you would still remain true to me, that my calling is bigger than your family's calling. And in that moment, Saul had to pass by his dad's calling because God had a calling for his life. And that's the same for you and I. Jesus says to us that uh, in the book of Matthew that, that there will be a hundred times as much 
in heaven for those of you and I who have left houses and homes and finances and cars and family for the sake of the calling that He has on your life. we got to live that way, though, because that's step two. That's step two. That's just getting past and say, God, I'm not looking for donkeys anymore. I'm not looking for the things in this world anymore. I'm done. i got a new heart. I'm moving past my family. I'm moving past my finances. I'm moving past what I need. I'm keeping on. Jesus says we've got to carry our, our, our cross and follow him. So number one, he left. He had a new heart. Number two, he left all. Number three, daily bread. So he, Samuel tells him, okay, the next you're going to come to a guy. Now, I would think this guy was crazy, by the way. You know, someone pulls up and tells you it, it, you're at you know, a gas station. He says, the next three places you're going to go, you're going to meet these people, these people, these people, these people. That dude's either crazy, but when it happens, guess what? You're going to think, dude, that was a man of God. Something crazy just happened in my life, and God's confirming that. God's not going to let you do this whole Christian life thing on your own. He's going to be with you along the way. And so he says, hey, you're going to come to the next place, and as you go past the place of Bethel, there's going to have some guys. They're going to be going up to the hill of God, and they're going to have three goats and three loaves of bread and a jug of wine, and they're going to give you two of those loaves of bread. What happened? In that moment, there's some guys going up to the mountain with a sacrifice, and Saul comes up to them, and they say, here, here's two loaves. Okay, anybody ever gave you random things on the side of the street? One time we tried to give watermelons away uh, in, our, in our church outreach in, in Missouri, and just you ever try to go up to the house and say, hey, have, have a free watermelon? They look at you like you're insane. What'd you inject that watermelon with? You know, like, like what'd you put in it? It's laced with something. We don't want your watermelon. I had to convince people, no, it's free. Just take a watermelon. I mean... So here's these guys come along their own. Here's two loaves of bread, Saul. What did they do? What does that mean? Jesus says we should not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In that moment, Saul partook of a sacrifice that was heading up to a hill where God was being worshipped. He was partaking of the sacrifice. What do we partake of every month here at Sanctuary? We partake of Holy Communion. We partake of the bread of God. But it's not physical bread. It was spiritual bread. Saul had nothing. His journey had ended uh, with the donkeys. He had no food, no money, no donkeys. And here he is going back home. Guess what? God supplied his need along the way. You can be sure that if you give everything to sell out to Jesus, he's going to let you participate in some of the work that he's done and meet your need along the way it may not be the wealth of stakes and cars and bmws and boats but let me tell you something it's enough for the journey it's enough for the journey we are not to live by the physical things alone but what has been paid for for us in jesus christ don't you know that your heavenly father knows how to give good gifts he knows how to give you everything that you need and if you want to be successful on your christian journey you got to remember that christ said pray for your daily bread your daily bread what you really need is spiritual food on this journey and that's what we partake of as we pass the place of god we get a new heart we leave all and we begin to feed ourselves on the word of god and trust that god meets our physical need amen amen I'm focused on the spiritual first. God meets my physical. And so Saul had to learn that in that moment. And lastly, this is the best part, one of my favorite weird stories in Scripture. And lastly, Samuel says, as you approach your home, you're going to go past the Philistine garrison in your hometown. And you're going to meet some prophets coming down from that hill of God. And they're going to be worshiping and prophesying. And look at 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6. He says, then the, the prophets, I'm sorry, then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily. Everybody say mightily. 
mightily, and you shall prophesy with him and be changed into another man. When you prophesy, you're going to be changed into another man. And it shall be when these signs come upon you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. Oh, man, I could preach on this for hours. In that moment, I'm not going to because I know there's stuff going on, good food waiting out there for y'all. All right? In that moment, Saul goes past these guys. Man, and don't you know the Spirit of the Lord is contagious. The Spirit of the Lord is powerful. It sets an atmosphere. It sets the presence around you. And here's these Spirit-filled prophets. And the Bible says they were uh, uh, prophesying in ecstatic utterances uh, that things were coming. I believe, personally, just me, I believe they were speaking in tongues. I believe they were speaking in tongues, coming off of there, and they were giving oracles of God. And as they approached, man, the Holy Spirit jumped off of them and jumped off to Saul. And it says that when Saul uh, was taken over by this, that he too began to prophesy. I believe he also spoke in tongues. And then I believe that the Holy Spirit came over and says that he was changed into another person. And that day, people began to note what in the world happened in Saul's life. Who is this guy that was just out there looking for some donkeys, and now he's prophesying with the prophets? When God gets a hold of your life, truly gets a hold of your life, people are going to notice. People are going to notice and say, you're not the same person you once were because God has showed up and manifest in your life. I can see some divine working happening in you. And so Saul gets to home, and Saul did not come home with any donkeys, but he came home in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? His story is phenomenal. We, we put a lot of bad things on Saul because we're going to learn some more things about him and his, his, all of his traits and failures and all that. But in this moment, God was giving him a chance. And today, God's giving you a chance. He's got something in store for you. And in that moment, we think, I think about Peter a lot when I think about uh, Saul. Peter is this guy denying Christ. He's weak. He's gone back fishing. But in that moment, Jesus restores him. He calls him. He beckons him to turn back to his kingdom and feed his sheep. He gets there in the upper room. And man, when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he preaches and 3,000 people get saved. Because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and he prophesied. He prophesied. Speaking in tongues is, is prophecy. And today, God, the word prophet means mouthpiece or a mouthpiece of God. We receive today that Jesus uh, on the cross has provided for us in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit in power. He says in Acts 1, 8, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you to be my witnesses to here and locally and around the world. And it's so not that you can just have a better Christian life. It's so that you can be his mouthpiece to declare the word of God boldly to a community around you and do what God has called you to do. And not just that. What was Saul trying to get? What did God want to use Saul to do? To lead his people out of defeat and enemy occupation and cast out the enemy from the people of God. Church, God has raised up uh, uh, you here today to cast out, to prophesy, to be a light in a dark place, that there are many families and homes who are dealing with so much difficulty, so much defeat, and so much desperation. And God is saying, I've got a purpose for you. I've got a calling, an anointing for you, my church. I've prepared it in advance from the foundation of the world that in Christ you would receive something awesome And I just want you to walk in it. I want you to go on this journey with me. It's going to be fearful. It's going to be scary. It's going to be out of the box. You may have to talk to people on the street. You may have to sing and prophesy. I may want you to dance or shout. I don't know. I'm not saying it's going to be all crazy weird. But I'm saying there's got to be a moment where you say, God, am I living in faith 
Is my Christianity a little risky? Is the Christianity that you're living today risky? Is it out of the box? Is it something that God is drawing you deeper? We sing a song. He's drawing me deeper still, deeper still into love. And that's, that's this moment. But I think sometimes we fall short in our calling because we're fearful of receiving all God has for us. Like me growing up, I was so scared of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you didn't grow up in that tradition or that denomination where you believed in the power of the Holy Spirit come upon you after salvation. Uh, maybe there's a doctrinal thing you've got to figure out there in your life and understand that. Uh, or maybe it's just, I believe in it, I grew up with it, but I ain't doing that, you know? Or, or it's just that I've been burned, I've been in those kind of churches, I've been in those kind of places where people yell and scream. And I, again, I don't go for all that either. I think you can be spirit-filled without being weird and without being pushy and without being religious and without being mean. Right. I think we could be a people, though, who are filled. The best evidence of the Holy Spirit is not speaking in tongues. It's a power. It's a changed life. And it wasn't about Saul prophesying. It was that he came home different. All right. But I think we're scared. Look, look at look in first Samuel, chapter 10, verse 14. Let's look at this real quick. He, he had looking for he has anointed for now. He's fearful for And he so that happened in his life. And so no doubt he was thinking, well, that was weird. Right? He just walked by these guys, and all of a sudden he started prophesying, and so what do I do with that? And uh, I was like that. When I got the Holy Spirit, I didn't really know what to do with it. I, I spoke in tongues, and it was a weird thing, and I didn't understand it. And, and then for a year or two, I didn't know what to do or pray. or I just kind of just sat there on the pew. And in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 14, he says, Now Saul's uncle said to him, and his servant, he said, well, Hey, where'd you go? He said, Oh, I went to look for those donkeys. He said, Well, we saw they couldn't be found, so we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Well, what did Samuel say to you? And so Saul said to his uncle, Well, he told us plainly the donkeys had been found, but he ended it there. He didn't tell him, hey, I had these three signs fulfilled. He didn't tell him, hey, I had a prophetic encounter with God, and God showed up in his mountain, and, and, I'm, and some dude, weird dudes gave me two pieces of bread. He didn't tell him all that stuff. He just said, yeah, we, we, we didn't find them, but we talked to a guy named Samuel. Sometimes I think we can be scared to be Pentecostal. And, you know, there's bad, sometimes in some circles, Pentecostal is a bad word or charismatic is a bad word, and I understand that. There's a lot of bad stuff out there. There's a lot of TV things going on. Burns a lot of people out. But when you've got the real deal, when you've had a true encounter with God, what do you have to be scared of? God, he's a good father. He loves to give good gifts. And when God gives you something, is it going to be something that's bad? If it's real, if it's authentic, if you know that you know that you've encountered God, I shouldn't be fearful that I've received something good from my heavenly father. I shouldn't be questioning it. And, and let's go on. So he says, so unlike on the day of Pentecost, Saul had this experience, but it came and went. Now we have something today that stays with us. And Saul, it came upon him and it left. And so Saul's fearful. doesn't tell his uncle. It goes on. The passage tells us this. And just sum it up. Samuel calls all the people together and says, hey, we're going to anoint this guy king. But he doesn't tell him who it is. He says, we're going to cast some lots. And they cast some lots, basically like rolling the dice. And they come to the guy named Saul. And they said, God has chosen Saul to be king. Got all this big crowd of people there. They're waiting, and they're like, oh, yeah, okay, let's anoint Saul and King. They're like, where is he at? I can't find him. They ask the Lord. The Lord says, <clears throat> he's hiding in the coat closet. He's hiding over there in the baggage behind the donkeys. They go, Saul, this big guy who just had this awesome encounter with God, he is cowering in the back of this crowd, hiding behind all the luggage, and they pull him out there, and they anointing him as king. Does that not sound like us so many times? I am saved. I've been in church my whole life. 
but then I have a problem telling somebody about Jesus Christ. Think about it. How many sermons have I heard? How many places have I been? How many things have I seen and, and, and God has done things in my life? And yet we, we begin to continue to trust in our own abilities. And God in that moment was teaching Saul through that journey. He says, after the Spirit of God, stop trusting in your own abilities because I want you to do great things. He says, when the Spirit comes upon you, do what you feel led to do. Let the Spirit uh, just take control of you. And so many times we are fearful of letting God take control of a service, of our marriages, of my personal prayer time, or going all in and maybe giving more than I've ever given in the, on the offering before, or signing up for that youth ministry, or signing up for that kids ministry, or volunteering, or going across the diner and talking to that person that I feel like maybe God wants to talk to them about. I don't know how that's going to work. I'm going to look weird. But we need a boldness that comes upon us that we couldn't be fear. We're not fearful any longer for the dynamic, powerful. Why isn't the church reaching the world today? It's because we are more fearful than we are filled. Why are we scared to tell people about Jesus on the street? We know they're the ones dying and going to hell. I'm the one going to heaven. Why should I be scared of a person who's going to hell? Or a person that I know, I've got the heavenly hosts about me. Demons tremble at the name that's inside of me. And yet I'm scared of a little old lady, you know, pumping gas at the gas station or whatever. There should be this dynamic power residing in the church that I'm not fearful because I'm filled. Amen? Are we with me today? You understand what I'm saying? In that moment, I'm going to wrap this up. Saul was fearful. He's hiding. He had looked for something. He was anointing for something. And now he's fearful for what he's been received and the calling he's got. Lord, I, I want to be saved, but I don't know if I can do all that stuff that, that the pastor or the evangelist or missionaries do. I don't know if I can talk to people about Jesus. I don't know if I have the, what it takes to lead a group or, or volunteer. Or... In that moment, you've got to remember, remember the Philistines are in the area. Later on, Saul goes back home. He's plowing with the oxes. And he hears that there is a town that's been invaded and they're threatening to pluck all the eyes out of people. Real bad stuff. In that moment, the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him with a righteous anger. And he rallied the troops. They took on these people, the Ammonites, and they just decimated them. Not even two of them were standing together. Because why? He didn't do it in his own self, but he did it by the Spirit. Same is true in the disciples. Hires 12 little men, 12 blue-collar, uneducated fishermen, you know, tax collector with some prostitutes surrounding them, some older ladies, single ladies. They go, and 120 of them show up in one little place. They got no money, no resources, no fame, no political influence. And in 300 years, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they convert the whole Roman Empire. Is that the kind of Christianity you have? Is that the kind of Christianity I have? It's not fearful. It's filled. It's not looking for donkeys anymore. It's got a changed heart. It's left all the callings of this world, pursued Jesus Christ, receiving the daily bread, filled with the prophetic spirit of God, and says, I know who I believe in. I know that I am filled with a power that didn't come from the grocery store or a gas station. It didn't come from my degree. It didn't come from my political persuasion or my racial ethnicity. It didn't come from how I grew up or who my mom and dad is. It come because I had an encounter with a holy God that gave me a holy calling and says, I've called you to change the world. I've not called you just to be a nurse or oil worker. I've not called you just to be a grandma or a dad or a mom. I've called you to be somebody in my kingdom 
That's what he's wanting from you today. You want to be a church that takes over this community? Be a filled church. You want to be a church that that sees marriages restored? Be a filled, filled church. You want to be a church that sees teenagers come out of drugs and rebellion? Be a filled church. It's not about us. We, this world's dying and going to hell. There is the enemy is defeating so many people. And here we are hiding behind the coat rack saying, Lord, I know I'm Pentecostal. I know I got the power of the Holy Spirit, but I don't think I'm ready to get out there and do what you've called me to do. But God has given you the anointing. It's not just pastors. It's the whole church. He predestined you and called you in Jesus Christ. Gave you the riches of heaven, the fullness of his son, power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me today? I'm going to read you this. I just want you to listen to these words. I'll ask the worship team to come. Spurgeon said this. and Just listen to these words with your eyes closed there. He says, I'm afraid for you who go ankle deep into religion and you never venture further. I'm afraid that you might return to the shore. But as for you who plunge into the center of the stream and find a water to swim in, I have no fears, for you shall be carried onward by a current ever increasing in strength till the ocean of eternal love. You shall lose yourself in heaven above. Are you satisfied with an ankle-deep experience with God? Are you satisfied in ankle-deep Christianity? God has a calling on many of your lives. He's got a calling on all of your lives. Some of you have been called... In your own occupation, some of you have been called to full-time ministry. Some of you have been called to be in leadership in, a, in the local church. Some of you have been called to be prayer warriors and intercessors. Some of you have been called to be evangelists in your own way, in your own community. We all have a calling. And I don't want you to just stay ankle deep. Like Spurgeon said, I want you to dive in and plunge into the rivers of God and let that river take you to where God wants to take you.